You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Alrighty, 9.03. Uh, coming up in just a little bit, we're going to talk uh, about Trudeau, Justin Trudeau, who's making a, a campaign stops along his uh, road trip in Canada. Uh, he is in Nova Scotia. Asked some pretty interesting questions that we're uh, starting to hear. Interesting questions, interesting answers. So we'll uh, get to that in probably about 15 minutes. But I want to talk a little bit about the latest out of Hollywood. I'm not sure if you heard, but uh, latest Hollywood bad boy to be outed for questionable behavior would be James Frango. A, a, a unique guy, great actor, but really kind of a bizarre guy. Uh, but uh, as, he, as he went to collect his trophy at the Golden Globes, Twitter lit up with a, a couple of women uh, accusing him of sexual harassment, you know, preying on women. And, of course, this was during a night of Hollywood loving itself over its new cause, Time's Up. But, uh, look, as I said before, I, I don't know if Franco did anything. Can't just condemn unproved allegations as we see time and time again with social media mobs trying uh, and convicting every suggested misbehavior that we we hear about and i think it's important to determine the difference what is bad behavior versus those who commit an actual crime jen gerson writes about this very issue in the national post glad she can join us thanks so much jen Thanks for having me. I thought this was a really fascinating article um, because I think you kind of, with your opening line, saying, you know, you should, the, the eyebrow kind of, you got to watch this thing with your eyebrow kind of really kind of right up there. Um, because while Time's Up is yet another feel-good hashtag, um, is it fair to say that it's murkying the waters on sexual violence? I actually think Time's Up is probably one of the, the, the better approaches to the, the, the response to the Me Too movement than, than a lot of other things I've seen, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, now, firstly, uh, let's just start off by saying Hollywood is no good moral arbiter of anything, least of all sexual assault. I mean, this, this is an, this, as an institution, Hollywood has been um, utterly lacking in any kind of sexual mores since about, you know, as far as I can tell, like like the 60s. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. Not only did this this institution allow Harvey Weinstein to 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 go unpunished and unquestioned for for decades, a Roman I mean, Polanski not, or Woody Allen, yeah, or Roman yeah. Polanski or Woody Allen or any others. I mean, I, I mean, this is this is not. I don't exactly trust Hollywood as a largely male dominated, um, top down hierarchical institution to to really be dictating you know morals to people like you and me. That being said. Time's up. Um, you know, I read the open letter. I, I read their their aims. I mean, I don't really have a problem with anything they want to do. So what, what seems to me like that Time's Up is a letter that has been crafted very consciously, especially by women in Hollywood who, who understand that they're largely wealthy white women who have access to resources and money and power that most of us don't have. And they seem conscious of that and wanting to put that to some good use and most of the good use, they seem to want to put this towards toward a legal defense fund that will allow women in less glamorous or, pres- or prestigious roles to access justice, right? But to hire lawyers and to hire communications mm-hmm. professionals, professionals to, to sort of um, uh, take on their um, aggressors in ways that are uh, legal and um, um, through, through the normal channels of, of, of justice. And I think that that is 
that's a hard position to fault. That's a hard uh, position to say it's fundamentally wrong. I would much rather, you know, someone have access to a really top-notch lawyer through something like Time's Time's Up and, you know, pursue a really nasty, horrible predator through legal means than to, you know, jump on Twitter and jump jump into a, a mob that is, is as likely to backlash on them as it is to actually seek any actual real justice against people who have harmed them. Uh, to me, that, that's not a bad way to go about this, to be perfectly honest. Right. But I, it is, I think, important, though, that to point out that not all bad behavior is a crime. I mean, look, uh, you get pinched on the butt or, you know, someone says, hey, you're looking hot today. That is not it might irritate you, but that is not a crime. No, exactly. And this is one of the one of the areas where I think Me Too has gone wildly off the rails. Like, look, if we're going to pretend that some drunken boss who gropes me at a Christmas party is the same thing as a rapist, we've lost all credibility with 99% of people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. you, no, no, no sane person mm-hmm. is going to agree to that. Look, we, we, we live in a world in which there are moral hierarchies and there are moral, there are hierarchies of harm, right? If we're talking about violence, the legal, the criminal justice system acknowledges that there's a difference between between someone knocking me over in the street, someone slapping me on on the face, and someone murdering me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, <laughs> they're they're not all the same thing just because they they can both all be classified as violence. And the thing that distinguishes those three acts is not my subjective response to it. Like I, you know, one of the problems I have with um. What Me Too has done here is that they've tried to class all types of, of harm or sexual assault as, as one thing. And when called upon that particular point, they said, well, that doesn't matter because it's about the subjective experience of the victim. And you don't know what kind of harm that that victim has maybe undergone as a result of that thing that they've been exposed to. But the subjective experience of the victim is is not the most important factor. It just isn't. It's not the most important factor when we're dealing with criminal assaults. It's not the most important factor when we're dealing with any kind of um, moral hierarchy of issues. Like if, if someone is raped and brutally beaten, but her subjective experience is like she gets up the next day and is like, yeah, I'm fine. We don't say a rape and assault hasn't happened because her subjective experience right. Was wasn't you know like that's not that's not how any of this works. I mean, even if we're talking about the criminal justice system, you know, if, if you have been through the criminal justice system, mm-hmm. you know that they that they read out um, a victim um, impact statements. Oh, impact statements. Yeah. Thank you. Victim impact statements are an important tool that victims have in the criminal justice system to to, to let that system and have it on the record how a crime has affected them. But it doesn't necessarily have an objective input in an objective uh, input into how a criminal is then sentenced, like how a criminal is then sentenced. It has to do with the nature of their crime, the intent, the harm caused and the precedent. Right. So the fact that one victim might have been more harshly affected by a crime than another victim doesn't mean that that criminal is going to get a more or greater sentence. Right? No, but let me interject because, I mean, in Canada, we call it, uh, certainly in broadcast, sexually assault, which to me waters down um, or, or can be a very uh, ambiguous term. I mean, not all sexual assault is the same. Sexual assault in this country can be a, a pat on the bum or it can be an all out, as you say, uh, rape, uh, beating, bringing, you know, almost death uh, well, in, to its victim. In, in, and in, yeah, yeah, in the case of that, we would call that aggravated sexual assault, yeah. right? So, I mean, like there, there's a slight distinction there. But yes, that's correct. I mean, that, this has been the case since I believe a 
Christ, someone's going to um, correct me on this, and quite rightly, I think that's been the case since the seventies. Yeah. Since we since we got the idea of rape out of the system, and that 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 because that started to happen because our whole concepts around gender and rape and penetration started to be challenged by by modern gender theory, and as a result, we kind of abandoned that and said, okay, well, any kind of assault that has a sexual intent is sexual assault, and we stopped distinguishing between these categories of okay, well, can a man sexually assault another man? Well, of course we would accept that, but how and in what case? You know, so, so it all started to get really Blur, yeah. ambiguous and, and blurry. And to some extent, that ambiguity, that, amb- that ambiguity and that blurriness isn't a bad thing. Like it, it, It's, it's not, but it does tend to, I, I think it's like you whitewash it because there are degrees well, yeah, it's, it's, to it that are worse well, than others. I agree. And let's not pretend that, that, that the um, ambiguity that came yeah. about is like the be all and end all or that, that, that challenging and that questioning has to stop like as of 1998. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, yes, I think it's probably a good thing that we don't consider rape to be this idea that um, as a type of theft of a wife against a husband, right, which is what rape used to be considered. You know, a rape wasn't considered a, a, an assault against a woman. It was it was the idea that a rape had occurred if you had stolen another man's wife because you had then used that man's property against him sort of thing, right? It was a considered almost a property crime, right? That, that, that's, our, that's what our notion of rape used to be. And that changed. And that was for the, for the, for the good. I think now most of us would acknowledge that if a man rapes another man, that's, that's a rape, right? Like, like I, I don't think, I think that that is, but that's also, again, very different from what a traditional notion of a rape or a sexual assault might actually be. So, like, I think uh, we have to be open to that idea that ambiguity can kind of change and challenge some of these, some of these ideas. Yeah. But at the same time, no, I mean, pretending that there's no moral hierarchy within, within the, 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 the conversation, the, the public conversation, I'm not talking about the criminal conversation, but the public conversation, you know, completely um, denuding any of this of nuance, pretending there's no moral hierarchy between different kinds of sexual assault or different kinds of sexual harassment, um, I think really it, it just, just diminishes the credibility sure. of the whole movement altogether. And it just makes it very easy to dismiss it. Yeah, and look, Matt Damon, I think, and I'm only going to about 30 seconds left, but Matt Damon, I mean, he got in an awful lot of trouble because he stated, you know, there's a difference between patting someone on the butt and rape or child molestation. And he was vilified for that. And I got to be honest, I tend to agree with him. I totally agree with him as well. And also, if I go to my boss and say I've been sexually harassed, I want that boss to take me seriously. I don't want that boss to roll rise at me. Yes, exactly. Jen, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. That is Jen Gerson. She wrote about this very issue, a really uh, a great article in the National Post. And it's, uh, it gives some context uh, to how these movements can either succeed or fail. Interesting perspective.